We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lukowski. And this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark from Ascension Lutheran Church in beautiful South St. Louis. And uh, yeah, my last time here at Northfield, they're starting to shovel snow around here, so it's time to head south. Uh, right. <laughs> this is Wrestling with the Basics. Uh, I, I've got it, the thing that I treasure about this show is not only do you have some of the finest uh, Bible study that you'll find anywhere on radio. <laughs> But we're so humble. That's I think that's the that's other thing right. striking. We're so humble. But we'd like to offer people practical information as well. Can I start with a practical insight, Matt? Oh, please do, John. I wouldn't expect anything um, less. This this comes from my uh, 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 stepdaughter, Becca, who is a, a, an execution consultant for Wells Fargo Bank. Oh, I, I thought she <laughs> Yeah, that's her. That's her. I was thinking something else. I, I <laughs> well, apparently, something. yeah, you don't want to fall behind on your mortgage payments with yeah. that bank. Because <laughs> otherwise, right. Becca will be there consulting on your execution, apparently. <laughs> um, her, 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 her whole title is Lead Business Execution Consultant. <laughs> <laughs> and I, she doesn't I work for the state penitentiary. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, she knows a lot about guillotines, though it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what she does for the bank, but she is very knowledgeable about dealing with people. And she gave me a, a suggestion that I thought is just just remarkable. Do you have trouble with names, Fred? <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Do you have trouble with names, Matt? (laughs) Well, one of us does, apparently. (laughs) Well, well, seriously, Bob. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Well, you know, and as pastors, we're constantly meeting people. People are coming up to say hi, and, and, and they all know us. But, man, we've got, like, hundreds of people that we're supposed to remember. So here... Here's a, a mnemonic device that she gave me to remember people's names. And it really is, it really is clever. When they introduce themselves to you, when they give you their name, think about their name being written on their forehead. Now, oh, isn't that clever? Okay. Because I think the biggest problem is we don't really listen. We don't really think about what we're being told. And, yep. and so by doing this, that forces you to, to think about the name, to remember the name. And then, of course, by writing it on their forehead, you associate it with their face. I yeah. thought, what a remarkable idea, because I do have a terrible, terrible time remember people's names. However, one thing she didn't mention, and I think I should, do not literally write it on their forehead. Do you not carry around a Sharpie marker and <laughs> label well, their forehead? It's a great mnemonic device because really you will not forget their name then, but most people don't really like that as I found out. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Becca, so, for yeah, that bit of advice. That's great. 
Yeah, so I, it, it sounds like you've been having fun as a guest preacher in your retirement, John, at these various <laughs> congregations. Why don't they ask me back? <laughs> yeah. All right, we have some business we have to finish up from, from last week real, real quickly because uh, uh, we want to get on to Thessalonians chapter 1, for those of you at home, if you want to open your Bibles. Um, so, Matt, yeah, we were concluding this business about the— uh, uh, the wedding feast, uh, the wedding feast of the yes. son, uh, and the guy that didn't have the right garment on. And, and the right garment, of course, is the garment washed white in the blood of the lamb, the garment of salvation. Uh, and, and so a lot of people are going to be going to communion tomorrow, Matt. They're going to actually go to the wedding feast. Isn't that remarkable? This parable is happening right here and now with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. It's going to be happening here on earth, and it's going to be happening in in all kinds of different churches, not just Lutheran churches, which is what's exciting. But but it occurred to me that if, 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 if as you're going to that that wedding feast, that holy communion, that banquet of eating and drinking, and you're going thinking, you know, I'm better, I'm better than those Baptist guys who don't really get all the theological nuances, or I'm better than the Jews who refused Jesus, or I'm certainly better than the people who don't go to church. It occurs to me you're probably going wearing your own clothes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we're not um, knowing that we're going by grace alone, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That uh, we don't really, none of us deserve to be in that banquet. We just don't deserve it. Uh, we didn't choose it. He chose us. But we are invited. I had to share another passage real quick. That's why I wanted to bring this back. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So I think everyone needs to realize that at the point of their baptism, you got the wedding garment, that white garment, washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And we've probably dirtied it since then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know our listeners are probably sloppy eaters like me, and so we probably spilled some spaghetti sauce on it. We maybe fell into a mud puddle. Maybe we wallowed in a mud puddle. Um, uh, but again, see, his mercies are new every morning, right? Matt? That's the great thing about this wedding garment washed white in the blood of the land. The Lord is constantly cleansing that garment through the forgiveness of sins, which is ours in Jesus Christ, which is one of the reasons that I really like Lutheran worship. It doesn't have to be done this way, but I do think, what, what's the first thing that we usually do in a Lutheran church service, Matt? Yep. Begin with the invocation, the name into which we're each baptized. Yep. So we got the reminder of baptism, and then right after we have that reminder of baptism, what 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 do we usually do? What's the first part of the liturgy? The confession of sins and receiving forgiveness, the absolution. So, yeah, so we go in and say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I got the garment dirty. And he says, hey, no problem. We're going to make it white again. All of your sins are forgiven. And, and then... Then, see, you can go to the banquet, and you don't have to worry. No one's going to throw you into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because you've got that forgiveness in Jesus Christ. In fact, do you remember what the punchline of that parable was, Matt? Do you remember the punchline? Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. And see, that's what's really neat about the banquet, because there you find out not only were you invited, not only were you called, but you are the one that has been chosen, right? It's a great thing that God loves the world, but it's so much more important to know that he loves me. And what does he say in the banquet, Matt? What does he say? He says, take, eat, this is my body given for you. You. 
Yeah, and take, drink. This is the blood shed for for you, for the forgiveness of sin. So anyway, I just wanted to put that little promo in there for everybody who will be going to take the Lord's Supper tomorrow. Uh, just remember, uh, we're going to go dressed in the, the wedding garment, that robe washed white of the blood of the Lamb, and therefore everything is going to be Everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be good. All right, Matt. You yeah. wanted to go ahead, Matt. Sorry, well, I just add real quick, yeah. John. The um, you know some of our churches even have that practice of presenting like a little white robe of some sort oh. to the newly baptized, and then the pastor says the words, "Receive this white garment to show that you have been clothed with the robe of Christ, Christ's righteousness that covers all your sin." So, so you stand without fear before the judgment seat of Christ, receive the inheritance prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. Isn't that beautiful? It is. Um, so that confidence that we can come to the Lord's Supper, and then finally to the, the great wedding feast in the Lamb and His kingdom that has no end uh, when at Christ's return, certainly. Uh, confident that we are, like you said, John, clothed in that robe of, of Christ's righteousness. And see, that's what's really neat about the Supper, because it is going to go on eternally. You know, and, and in fact, it's kind of cool to think about it actually happening in heaven, even as we take it down here on earth, because I love that phrase with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And I think about all the people that I've loved and cared for that have already gone on to heaven and think, oh, I'm having dinner with them again. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. All right. What about Thessalonians? What what intrigues you about Thessalonians? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking, John. So, yeah, Thessalonians. Um, you know, I Thessalonians is, is one of those books of the Bible that is an epistle, right? Yes. So epistle is just kind of a fancy word for letter. <laughs> right, not <laughs> pistol. We, it's not pistol. No, it's epistle. No, no, okay, no, thank no you. firearms, just yeah. letter writing. <laughs> um, so yeah, when we gather together for worship, usually three main Bible readings. We have the uh, uh, something from the Old Testament, something from the epistles, something from the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And sometimes we have, have psalm readings as well. Um, the epistle reading. You know, I think sometimes we think that all epistle readings are just kind of um, written in a vacuum. Yeah, we're just, you ah. know, kind of just, you know, we, we don't really take into account the context, right, in which they're written. You know, we kind of just flies by us, this uh, epistle from Ephesians, from Romans, from whatever, and we don't really give much thought to the the reason that that individual, usually Paul in the scriptures, is writing the letter, and who he's writing the letter to, because who you're writing that letter to affects the content of the letter. It affects the tone of the letter. Um, and, it's and, true for us too, right, John? And, and Matt, if I could just interrupt yeah, you for a second there, because in terms of the whole Bible, I think we forget that we read it like it's some kind of uh, uh, distant old a holy book, and, and we yeah. need really no. These are flesh and blood people, just like you and me, that are both doing the writing and are being written to. Yeah. Yes, and I think you know we we've talked about the lectionary before and rest of yeah. the basics and how we follow this um, set um, set calendar of readings, and that's a good thing because it really does cover those those main themes in the Bible and really centers those readings on Jesus. But I think the the one drawback is sometimes we just show up on a Sunday morning and hear the readings, and there's not a whole lot of context given as to why we're reading, what we're reading, or where this reading's coming from. Um, so I want to talk about, a little bit about um, the importance of that, especially when it comes to the epistles. You know, for instance, when we write a letter today, and I'm sure there's some people out there somewhere that still write letters, 
um, even in this age of technology of Zoom meetings and text messages and all those things. But when we write a letter, even an email for that matter, um, what we write and the tone which we write it with varies depending on who we're writing. So, you know, just for instance, you know, what we write in a letter or an email to our boss sounds a lot different than a letter and email we send to a high school buddy. Um, the letter we write to our grandma sounds a lot different than the love letter we write to our fiance. You know, it better it better sound it, different. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Or else you're not a very good fiance. Uh, anyway, um, so the content, the tone is affected by who you're writing to. So when we ha- hear that a letter being read in worship, that epistle being read in worship, usually it's Paul that, that wrote it. Yeah. Um, you know, God leading Paul to write those words, certainly, but Paul writing uh, that letter. So 13 letters of Paul recorded in the New Testament. Uh, some of them are written individuals, like uh, Timothy or Titus or Philemon. Uh, most of them are written to whole churches, though, a whole congregation of Christians. Uh, the church in Rome or Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus or, or what have you. Um, so one of those is written to the church in Thessalonica. And Thessalonica. So before we read the introduction to this letter, Paul's words to them, let's first read what Paul's relationship is to those Christians in Thessalonica. And as we hear about that, think about what you would write in a letter to the Christians in Thessalonica. So John, let's let's pick up with uh, Acts 17, actually. So let's, let's go to Acts 17, right. and we want to look at Paul's experience there in Thessalonica, what takes place. And and Matt, this is always a good thing to do. If we have it, what verse in 17, Matt? Anything? So yeah, verses 1 through 4, let's oh, start there. Okay, yeah, it just starts there. Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. Uh, now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Why can't we have easier names like St. Yeah, Louis? Yeah, you're telling uh, me. Where, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and we talked about that last week, that, yeah, the Jews, that's where you start. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaimed to you is the Christ. Um, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. Okay, so we got Jews, Greeks, and, and women. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you have the Jews, and, and he proclaims, this is the Christ, the anointed one you've been waiting for. It's Jesus. And then also even some Greeks, some Gentiles, they believe too. Thanks be to God. The, and the and, and that's so just what we talked about last week, right? So yeah, we had the people that were, that were invited, and now we've also got the other people that were being brought in because not everyone who was invited of the Jews did join. The banquet, yeah. Yeah, come on into the wedding feast. That's wonderful. Um, so how how long is, is Paul there so far talking to these people, telling them about Jesus? Did you catch that? I uh, said three weeks, three Sabbath so days. Three so Sabbaths, three so about three weeks, yeah. John. He's there about three weeks. All right. So, so far, so good. Let's keep reading, though, um, because just like the parable of the oh, wedding guests, not all yeah. of them accept the invitation. So uh, if you want to read verses five through nine. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked man of the rabble, 
Why do they have to bring us in, Matt? <laughs> the rabble. <laughs> You're a rabble. Get those guys okay. from Richmond with the basin. <laughs> That's right. Take it, but we're not the wicked men of the rabble. No, no, we're just plain old we're, ordinary rabble. We're just rabble. Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, singing to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's always about the money. Follow the bucks, right, Matt? Yeah, it sure seems <laughs> yeah. to be that way, right? Then they yeah. let them go. Uh, but again, you know, again, connecting it to last week, what we talked about in Rest of the Basics. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, we encourage you to do so. Um, yeah, so there are some that seize the servants that are sent by the king, yeah. right? And, and even like are seeking to, yeah, seeking to kill them, even, it seems. So, yes. So some of the Jews don't believe. They refuse the message. They're jealous and they are out to get Paul and his companions. And they even attack the house of this poor guy named Jason, <laughs> who had been kind enough to house them. All right, so let's, let's keep going. Matt, Verse, Matt yeah. why, why can't they be like us? I don't eat vegetables, but I don't go out and hassle people who do. <laughs> yeah, why can't we just live together? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, jealousy. You know, I, I yeah. think that's interesting that, you know, Paul states, or, you know, Luke, rather, here in Acts, states explicitly that it was because of their jealousy. Um, they're jealous that the people, the Jews at the synagogue are coming to believe in this Jesus guy, and they're jealous, and that's what motivates it. Yeah, it's interesting they mention that. Yeah, um, so, so it's a fact that, that they, they weren't attracting people, and now this new group comes in, and even their own members, and, and all of these women that are prominent yeah, in the Greeks are yeah, coming. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Crazy, jealousy, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, verses 10 through 12, John, if you could read those. All right, all right. There's more to the story? There's more. It gets, it gets oh, it's, it's twists and turns still to come. The brothers, now of course, I, I'm assuming we're talking about Christians there, right? Brothers yes. in terms of yes. those that believe in Jesus. The yes. brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Hey, but, look at that. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks be to God. So Berea is about 50 miles away. So they send them to a town about 50 miles from Thessalonica, somewhere where they're going to be nice and safe. And what does Paul do? Well, the exact same thing he, he always does. He starts telling about Jesus. And he, again, goes to the Jewish synagogue even there. And again, many believe. Wonderful. Even some Greeks, some Gentiles do as well. Fantastic. Um, now, uh, verses 13 uh, and 14, if you could read those verses, we wrap up this section of Acts. And, and I just want to point out, I think this is so important, the way uh, uh, Luke records this in the book of Acts, because, see, there are people out there right now that think, oh, Jews. They're Jew in fact, oh, man, with all this stuff going on in the Middle East, we're, we're seeing that, that some people are just Hey, th th there are noble Jews, and then there are jealous Jews, just like there are people we ourselves can be good and yet at the same time that sinfulness shows us so it's not that you're a jew that's not the problem uh and we're thankful that these people did receive him 
Uh, but when the Jews from Thessalonica there, okay, so these are the people that are letting jealousy control their yes. lives. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right, thanks, John. So <laughs> these jealous Jews yeah. uh, hate the gospel message so much, and Paul are so jealous of Paul that they travel the 50 miles, which is pretty yeah. significant. It probably took a couple days to get there, the 50 miles to Berea. Um, because they want to put a stop to Paul proclaiming Jesus there as well. They do the same thing. They stir up people in the city, and again, it gets so bad that Paul has to again leave, and he goes on to Athens. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. So all of this background, all this background just kind of shows what was Paul's relationship with those Christians then, those who did believe in Thessalonica. So here, here's the deal. How much instruction had those Thessalonican Christians received, John? Uh, not very much, because Paul was driven out of the, the community. <laughs> I mean, we're thinking like just a few weeks' worth, yeah, right? Yeah. Three Sabbath days' worth, maybe a little more. Uh, but they know probably just the bare basics of, of who Jesus is as the Christ. And um, they, are, they are a young church that is just beginning to grow. So when you think of John, uh, excuse me, Paul now separated from them, what does he want to write in this letter? And see, this is why the context is so important. So if we go now to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we want to explore that, John. What does Paul write in this letter to these new Christians who are under persecution in Thessalonica uh, in, in, his, uh, in his epistle? So 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 1 through 10, uh, if you could read that and listen for both the content but also the tone of what Paul writes to them. And, and that's what I was thinking too, Matt. If they had treated Paul this way, well, those that were remaining, I'm sure they were really facing a lot of struggles too. Exactly, exactly. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, uh, to the church of the Thessalon Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right, thanks, John. So that is the opening to Paul's letter to those in Thessalonica, this young church under persecution with very little instruction before Paul was forced to leave. So as you read that, John, any comments on, on the tone 
with which Paul writes. What 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 is you know because there's some letters where Paul's mad like <laughs> Galatians. Paul's Paul's ticked off at those in Galatia for for putting themselves back under the law. Okay, but but what's the tone here in Thessalonians? What would you say? Well, I, I hear a tone of of uh, of uh, empathy, of, of compassion, of love, of praise. Yeah, I agree. Thanksgiving, he constantly gives thanks, right, for them, yeah. mentioning them in his prayers. Encouragement. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think all those things that you mentioned, it's compassion, it's encouragement. It's, it's almost like a, a father-like letter checking in on their, <laughs> their children, you know, out of care and concern for them. Um, yeah, so that's the tone. And then some of the content. You know, again, he says, remembering them constantly in his prayers. I mean, you can imagine that. He knows they're facing persecution. He, he's sad that he had to leave them so soon. Um, also, you know, recognizing that they um, have been steadfast in hope, right, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they came to faith in much affliction, he says there in verse 6. Wow, that, that's so true, much affliction. And then even beyond that, he talks about how they have become Kind of notorious, verse 8 and, and following. Oh, yeah. they're, they're, I, I think notorious is usually used in a negative sense, Matt. <laughs> but in a good way, right? Famous. So, Maybe famous yes, would be famous, a better word. Even better, yeah, John. Yeah. Famous for their faith. You know, that their faith and their steadfastness. Uh, they're, they're, it's gone forth in Macedonia, Achaia, and even beyond. You know, how God has, has worked in them and through them, and uh, how they've turned from idols to serve the true God. So, I mean, I think that's just remarkable that, you know, God has worked mightily in these this young, fledgling church in Thessalonica that it has even become an example to those around them. That's pretty cool. So, I, you know, I think for us, John, um, and us as pastors, I think there, there's place for us to sometimes give share with our congregations that we serve uh, that we are thankful for them, and to encourage them. Um, we live in a world that, yeah, sometimes being Christian is countercultural. You know, more and more coming to church on a Sunday morning um, is, is not what, what most people are doing. Uh, but to just say, you know, to our, 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 those we serve as pastors, hey, you're remembering the Sabbath day. You're keeping it holy. Well done. Keep up the good work. Uh, not, not that we're perfect, right? Right? And not that we avoid speaking the word of law, but I think there's place for us to, to thank God for his people and to encourage his people, just as Paul does here in the opening lines of, of 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you, Matt. Uh, even outside of the, the cultural thing, uh, all of us as Christians have our crosses, our struggles, our trials. It does challenge us then sometimes that does God really love us? And if so, why? Why am I having this illness? Uh, why am I having these family problems? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think as pastors, we should encourage our people and remind them, yeah, th- this is part of life. Uh, Jesus said, take up your cross. But but to remind them again, like you said, that that, that, that love of God, that, that compassion he has for us, that, that, that never ends. Yeah. So especially, you know, I think just for our listeners, if you're part of a, a congregation that's maybe a new congregation like Thessalonica or a small congregation, maybe in a rural area or maybe in an urban area, you know, be encouraged that you are still an example to others of that, that steadfastness of faith and those works of love that, that Paul praises the Thessalonians for. So keep it up uh, and continue to be that example by God's grace and encouragement to those around you. Well, thank you for sharing us that background, Thessalonians. Uh, this has been Wrestling with the Basics. 